Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Recorded live. Hey there, hi there, ho there. Hey. Hey, Jesse. You're as welcome as can be. <laughs> um, gosh, guys, I got to tell you, uh, this other practitioner group, they are doing it. <laughs> I'm so grateful. I'm so awesome. grateful for this community. Holy God. <laughs> Seriously, like, jeez, us. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just coming off my little high there. Um <laughs> Anyhow, so let me just get to the right page, and we'll get rocking. So get comfortable. We are going to dive right on in some shit today. Um, all right. So let's do a little roll here. Um All right. Amina. I'm here. I heard Brian. Yep. Chris Tompkins. Present. Sushant. Yep. Mike. Here. Lisa. Here. Mar. Here. Cassie. Here. Um, I'm missing someone. Uh, South Carolina. Oh, Stephen. Hey, Stephen. Hi. Great. And um, is there anyone else I'm missing? No? I'm good? Okay. Great. All right. Um, guys, Stephen is here uh, so that we can um, put him in. He's just here. He's just going to join us at the very beginning of class so that we can put him in the center of our circle today to pray for him. Uh, and uh, let him, uh, he's here as a representative for everybody in Charleston, South Carolina. So uh, let us all get comfortable and uh, take a deep breath in. And let's center ourselves in with a few deep breaths. And with each exhale, we just allow a little more stress to leave our bodies. We relax our feet and our hands. We relax our tummies and our jaws and our the skin around our eyes and our ears. And we relax our feet. Ah, and just breathe. 
And I'm going to offer everybody a mantra. And for two minutes, we are going to just gently allow our full attention to be on the mantra. I have everybody on mute. So if you have are experiencing any kind of technical difficulty, just text me. But for two minutes, we will um, focus on this mantra. Now, a mantra literally means mind vehicle, mind vehicle. So it is the vehicle that takes us into the collective consciousness, into that space of receptivity. And our mind vehicle, our mantra today is be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am God. Okay, so I'm going to set the timer for two minutes. Be still and know I am God. taking a deep breath in, a breath of gratitude, so grateful, so thankful for the opportunity to be here with our brothers and sisters, to connect in with the shared intention of experiencing a greater awareness of love in, as, and through our life. Now, in this sacred circle, we invite all of our teachers, masters, angels, archangels, and brothers and sisters from other planets, 
dimensions, <laughs> anyone available and interested to join this circle and support us energetically, but only those who work in the light. We invite you now to expand our circle and help us hold the space, support us as we hold the space of world peace. And in the center of our circle, we place our brother, Stephen, surrounding him with bright white light and love, knowing that where he is, God is, knowing that where Stephen is, all the creative potential of the universe is active, residing now. And we send our wave, waves of compassion and understanding to Stephen and to everybody in Charleston and in the world who is experiencing discomfort and confusion over the experiences that have unfolded, these acts of violence, this misidentification expressing itself as a hate crime. We send waves of light and love and compassion as we lift up the families of those who were shot in the church as they prayed in a circle similar to this. We send waves of love and light to everyone who feels lonely and confused. We send waves of love and light to anyone who doesn't feel as though they've experienced any love that might develop a world view in which committing a crime of mass violence is a viable option. We send waves of love to them now. We remind ourselves that we are all innocent, that every living being deserves unconditional love. And so we send waves of light and compassion to this young man who is standing as perpetrator of attacker. We surround him with love. We remember his truth, that he is wholly innocent, that he is worthy of unconditional love, that he too is love, even if he has forgotten it, even if no one has ever told him that. We're remembering it for him, and we hold the space for his transformation, his healing, so that he can wake up to his oneness with the love. We send love and light to all the hearts in Charleston, those who feel afraid, those who feel angry, those who want revenge. We send the light of love to their heart. We activate that flame. We allow it to burn a little brighter. We hold the space and see a loving transformation unfold, not only in Charleston and South Carolina, but in the consciousness of everyone in our country and on this planet. We see a world in our minds right now where everyone takes care of one another, where we operate and act as a family. We look around us and we see smiling faces, people holding hands. We see equality and prosperity. We see health and vitality. We see prayer and celebration 
and acts of kindness. We feel into that, remembering that to actualize world peace, we must first feel peaceful ourselves. And so we give ourselves the gift in this moment as we lift up our brother Stephen, as we lift up everyone in Charleston, South Carolina, we feel peaceful and we share that peace with them knowing that everything is an outpicturing of an inward condition, we allow our condition today to be one of love, compassion, kindness, and abundance. And we share without limit, without condition, our love now with all. Knowing that this is creating a beautiful foundation for a greater vision of world peace to be built upon as others join us in laying brick by brick, piece by piece, their loving intention to live in a world of freedom, freedom from fear, freedom from violence, freedom from pain, freedom from famine. We live in a world of opulence and joy and celebration. So grateful, so thankful to be able to align with love, with truth, and share this with everyone, knowing that as we heal, everybody heals, for truly, we are one. In grace, and gratitude, gratitude, we release this word, and we let it be. Amen. And so I'll take a deep breath in. I'm going to unmute everybody now. Take a stretch up. Mm, yes. So, Stephen, I invite you to stay on the call as long as you can. And uh, go ahead. Uh, I'm actually, we are back to work today, so I'm going to bid you adieu, but I will see all of you soon, like in a few weeks. And I um, look forward to it. Yes, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, just keep uh, praying for us. You got it. Steve. All right, love you. We love you. You know, I realized that uh, it's interesting. I thought, well, it's time to dust out my good old uh, mass murder sermon that that I I do have because it seems um, as though uh, it's a common expression these days. And um, as practitioners, we must understand that this is an outpicturing of an inward condition. We know enough now to understand that our thoughts create our experience. And both in our individual lives and collectively, culturally, in our cities and in our countries and on this planet. Jennifer shared um, a teaching after the shooting in the movie theater in Colorado in which she invited everybody to make a 
deeper commitment to hone our ability to listen to and express from our loving intuition, meaning the times that we feel the impulse to be loving in our life, but we don't because we are afraid of what other people might think of us, to cut the cords of that behavior, to become courageous enough to share acts of kindness even to strangers who don't know us. She said this because she said that no one is born to commit crimes like this, that it was learned. And she said, what could have possibly been another um, story for this boy's life, for this man's life, if he was present, present to more kindness, more love? Would he have the same worldview? And so as practitioners, as people who have a practice, a spiritual practice, as people who have committed to um, aligning with the mission statement of Inspire Spiritual Community, which last line says our intention is to create world peace, peace by peace, to take our peace seriously, to do what is necessary to allow our individual inward condition to be in alignment with the possibility of world peace. During the Occupy Wall Street movement, I asked Venerable Dahani, what can we do? How can we take a stand for what we feel is right without making somebody else wrong, without having to, one, energize that I am a victim, and two, that there is somebody out there attacking me? How do we do this? And she said, we are the vision holders. We hold the vision of a world where everybody takes care of one another. And so it is our responsibility as practitioners having this conversation to be vision holders. So we must be willing to do what is necessary to, one, stay out of judgment, and two, hold that space, hold that vision of world peace by feeling peaceful ourselves. How do we experience peace? We remove the blocks that are preventing the experience. We remove the judgments. We remove the thoughts of unworthiness. We remove the thoughts of attack. We remove the thoughts of not good enough, not this enough. We remove the thoughts of limitation. We remove the thoughts of guilt. Now, knowing what we know, we can look at experiences like this with understanding. There is cultural consciousness in action here. There are, one, obviously, thoughts of separation, us versus them, white versus black. There are thoughts of attack, the attacker versus the victims. This is a broader conversation of cultural, racial, economical, 
uh, feelings of victimization. We see victim archetypes active here. And uh, on both scales, we see people who feel as though they have been victimized for long time and continue to be, and it certainly appears as such. And we also see someone who was so afraid of being victimized that he felt as though he needed to attack or to defend. A Course in Miracles says that defense is the first, uh, is the first, I forget exactly how it's said, but defense is the first, like, move in attack. When we feel as though there's something to defend from, defend against, we energize the act of attack. We know that love is all there is. And yet, we have seemed to have forgotten it. So we can act compassionately in situations like this because we understand that there is confusion unfolding. Now, I'd like to address that a very profound thing has happened in this specific unfolding. The families of the victims, of the people who were shot, stood in court and confronted the young man who is playing the role of attacker, and they forgave him. They forgave him. Two days after this happened to their loved ones, they forgave him. Now, this may be a strategy, (laughs) and who cares? What a powerful display. And I go back and I think of what would have happened? What would our world look like today if on September 12th of 2001, George W. Bush said from his press conference, we forgive you. This stops here. I understand that you feel as though you have been attacked, that this is a retaliation. Terrorism stops here. We will not fight back. We forgive you. We are going to stand in solution and create the possibility of world peace now. What would our world look like today? And so the power in the willingness of these families to say, I forgive you, shows the efficacy of their choices. They're not, they're not looking for blood. It's a very powerful movement and signs of a shift in the collective inward condition because everything is an outpicturing of an inward condition. So the invitation practitioners here is one, um, to become very aware of your inward condition. 
How do you do that? You look at your life. What is outpicturing as your life? How do you feel? How are you treated? Two, the invitation here is also, as practitioners, to be mindful of placing blame and judgment. What comes up for you? Do you feel attacked? Are you looking for retribution? Can you have compassion for this young man? Can you hold the space for his transformation? Can you hold the space for his freedom from the prison of loneliness and confusion that prompted the expression of a violent act like this? Three, can you be willing to not put too much effort and energy in this specific story, knowing that this is another expression, an ego demonstration of a collective belief of separation and guilt. And I invite you to consider this because because loneliness is such an epidemic in our lives right now, in this country specifically, when we place our precious energy into getting all the details and by clicking, clicking, clicking the stories, it sends, um, it sends the companies, the advertisers information that this is what we're interested in. So why would we be interested in healing it? We're making money off of it. We're making celebrities out of these young men that are committing these heinous acts. The Boston Bomber was on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. So what message does that send to a lonely, confused young man who feels alone and all that he wants is to be seen and have attention? What message does it send to him? So can we be disciplined enough to understand that something is unfolding. Another ego demonstration is expressing itself as mass violence, as upset, as racial injustice. And can we stand in the vision of world peace? Can we stand in the vision of world peace quietly? Meaning, can we clear out any motivation that we may have to get attention or ins- or um, eyes on us as spiritual, you know, juggernauts by posting so many, like, you know, insights and stuff like that that we might have. Yes, it's important to share, but can we do so from that really, a really clean motivation of being of service to all? Can we participate when we are asked to? Can we participate when we are asked to participate? And then can we just simply do what we are here to do, be the vision holders until we are asked? And ask ourselves, how are we contributing? 
to this outpicturing? What could I place on the altar? What could I heal? What could I release? What beliefs do I have that are active? Where am I a victim in my life? Where do I feel that there is great injustice happening in me? Where do I feel as though I need to defend myself? Where do I feel as though I have a special right to be angry or hold on to pain or resentment? Am I honoring myself, my journey, my culture by being angry? Or can I honor my journey, my family, my history, my culture by being a visionary? by contributing a different perspective to an old conversation. Where can I listen more closely to my loving intuition? Where do I withhold sharing love because of my fear of what other people might think of me, of saying something to a stranger. What would they think of me? Can I release that fear? Can I show up to be available, to be that light, to be a mirror which reflects love back to my brothers and sisters? There comes a time when, yes, we get to acknowledge that there are blocks and barriers still active in our life, and it's good to know that and good to acknowledge it. But it's not acceptable anymore to not do anything about it. Because until we do something about it, we will continue to have experiences like this, mass violence, devastation, hate crimes. And I know that there are women on this call that are gay women of color. Okay? Now that is a triple threat of social invitation to be fucking pissed and victimized. (laughs) I get it. And perhaps you incarnated in this lifetime as a gay woman of color because you have a real fucking mission to do this lifetime. You have, and you are having this conversation for a reason. You are a spiritual leader for a reason. And you have a powerful opportunity to do some real healing, not just for you, Because eyes will be on you. How do you handle experiences like this? What are you contributing to the conversation? How do you support the healing of all? It's a big game. And how wonderful that you have the tools to play that game masterfully. Hmm. 
Yes, guys, it is. You know, so many of my teachers don't watch the news. And there's this, you know, common social belief that if you don't, then you're uninformed and you're not really supporting your students or the people around you or yourself. But most spiritual teachers I know that have been really doing this work and are far on the path know that it's just another ego expression. Different characters, different situations, same thing unfolding. And the solution is not to energize it and get all the details and find out who's to blame. The solution is to energize and strengthen the vision of a world united in love. And we do that by continuing to do our work by practicing true forgiveness, by practicing true forgiveness and living a life of kindness, compassion, and service. The floor is open for 25 minutes. Feel free to share. Hey, Jesse, this is Mar. Hey, Mar. Hey. Um, you know, it's, it's funny that, um, you know, you mentioned the fact that, I mean, because clearly Patsy and I are two women of color and we're gay women. And, you know, I had to really sort of check myself the past week and, not just with, with what happened in Charleston, but I had an experience at Gay Pride with a woman, and long story short, she was a white woman, and she said something to the fact that she didn't see color. And at that moment, I was so angry, <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, because that's one thing, too. I think that within the gay community, we don't deal with our, our issues of racism within the community. And um, I have to really stop and check myself because I really felt this real dislike for this woman. Like, I felt this real kind of contempt. Like, there was a moment there where I hated her for saying that because she was so clueless and at the same time, I felt like she just completely erased who I was as a person, not just, I mean, just as a woman of color. It was like, I'm uncomfortable with you being black, so I'm just going to say that I don't see color, which is something that white people, not all white people, but white people often say when they don't really want to deal with the issue of racism. Um and it took me a while. I mean, it actually took me a couple of days to shake it off because at the same time I thought, you have no clue. You have no clue as to what it is to walk on this planet being a person of color. I mean, your, your day-to-day existence, not to say that you don't have your hardships and I don't know your heart, but you and I clearly walk on this planet very differently. And it was just that whole sense of her being completely clueless and absent to that. 
And honestly, I honestly didn't feel any love and light. I felt rage. And it took me, it took me a couple of days. It really did. And then the Charleston thing happened. And it was like, okay. Um, I think with the Charleston thing, I think as hideous as that was, and, well, ever since Barack Obama became president, I just, um, I mean, I'm finally seeing people having a certain type of dialogue that we haven't had in a long, long time, which makes me feel good. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was it was really sort of, sort of difficult for me because at the end of the day I'm being asked to have a certain compassion that I feel certain people don't have for me as a black woman and that was hard God more I, I love you more and more every day You know, it really takes courage to be as transparent as you are so willing to do. And especially around topics that feel scary and messy, uh, it's really, I mean, I continue just to bow to your, uh, your bravery always. I mean, it's really, it's really beautiful. And, uh, you know, it, um, it's interesting that, that I don't see color. Uh, you know, of course we see color, but that's okay to see color and to celebrate it. And well, go ahead. Yeah. No, but I think that was my whole point. I mean, my whole point, you know, and Patsy and I talk about this a lot. I mean, it's just like I want to celebrate people's differences, you know. I I want to celebrate that people look different. I don't want to live in a world where we don't recognize each other for who we are. Yeah. From the inside to the outside. You know, I just want to live in a world where it doesn't matter and that we can celebrate it. Yeah. Um, it's that whole idea of post-racist versus post-racial. I don't want to yeah. live in a post-racial society. I want to live in a post-racist society. You know, I mean, I like that you like you look the way that you look, and I like the way that Sushant looks, and I like that everybody's different, and 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 we are just a different manifestation of of God. And I don't want to lose sight of that. And when people say things like that, it just really, and I hate to say, but it's usually white people. And maybe because people of color, we, we come into the world being very conscious of that. And so... Um, May I say, Mar, that yeah. what you just said was so eloquent and so beautiful and so heart-centered that that there is your solution and quite possibly your ministry. What you just shared... If you were to share that, you know, I mean, here's the thing. So, okay, so your journey is to release the rage, right? So that you can have, so you can master, maybe not even release the rage. Your invitation here is to 
Become masterful in responsibility, your ability to respond in love. Because if you were to share in that moment what you just shared, that 30-second beautiful thing of saying, I don't want to live in a colorblind society. I want to celebrate all of our unique, we are all unique expressions. You know, what is similar is that we are love. That's what unites us all. And it expresses itself in so many colorful, beautiful ways. And I want to celebrate that. So please, see my color and love it. I mean, you know, I mean, so she's trying her political correctness, you know, got in the way of her better judgment. Like, I I don't know what that, where that I don't see color thing comes from. Because I agree with you. I think that we should all honor the uniqueness of our human experience. What a great, colorful, fun thing to do, right? Um, I mean, I, let's celebrate diversity. How great is it? It's not something to sweep under the rug. That's really like you just said, like you just shared. It's painful, you know, and your experience has crafted this beautiful woman. So honor that. You know, I want, I'm going to honor the goddess that I see before me as Mar, you know, and celebrate her beauty and her, you know, everything that is about her. So I love that what you shared. So the invitation really is to be able to master that response, is to listen and have compassion for the woman. You know, you have compassion for the woman who, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, we, I mean, any, we're not stupid. We get what she's trying to express. She just isn't very good at expressing it. And in that space, and that's here we are, there's, here's this opportunity, like we said before, about you know um, harnessing the ability to uh, tap into our loving intuition is allow that what can come forth in your response is to hold the space for her to support her in uh, expanding her perspective. So you can share that. As a, I mean, how powerful to have a woman of color say, "No, see my color, see my color, celebrate it." And that woman never has to say that to another person. Maybe you would save her getting slapped in the face or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. I yeah. I really had to sort of kind of pause for a minute when she said that because I just often feel that that's a response that we get a lot of times because we don't want to deal with something. And I I still think, I mean, the outside world is the outside world. And, you know, the LGBT community is just a microcosm of that. But I think that even within the community, I don't necessarily think that we deal with issues of, of, of class and race very well. We We think we do because... We think that just because we're inclusive, that these aren't problems within the community. And they are. Yeah, great. Um, you, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that there are, I mean, I think doing what I do, I've been privy to a lot of these conversations because it is a real conversation, but I do agree that they should be, you know, and maybe, and again, um, what I'm going to invite you to, to do is know that you have the resources 
and the space and everything necessary to have these conversations. You know, if this is what could be emerging, Mar, uh, quite beautifully, is, like I said, a ministry to be able to start having, hosting, you could, we could host forums that inspire about racism in the LGBT community. You know, let's not sweep it under the rug and uh, allow people to share their story just like you did, which is a powerful, healing story. So, yes, yeah, so again, as practitioners working in solution, working in, well, what could we create? What's available? What, you know, inspired ideas are coming to, my, to the forefront of my consciousness to share? How is it uniquely accepting itself in my life? You know, and this is the voice, and this is how we create the change instead of just pointing out what isn't working, you know? So I really invite you to explore what might be coming forth through you and know that you have at least 20 practitioners available and willing to support you in any way they can to create something and hold a vision. And that's why this work is so freaking awesome and spiritual community is so great. So, Mar, thank you again. Just thank you for sharing. And I'd like to open it up to uh, other people who'd like to share as well. We have 15 minutes left uh, with this open circle. Um, you know, this is such, I mean, this the whole topic is so layered. Um, not, not from what we know to be ultimately the truth. That's quite simple. But in terms of our processing of it in this human experience, it's very layered. And so, you know, these are conversations that could go on forever and should, I think, um, so that we can all heal. And there's so much healing that needs to happen on all sides of it. Um, You know, I do I feel impacted by the climate of my culture and indeed the culture all around the world. I mean, I I had the, um, I think, wonderful experience of having grown up all over the world. And so what I know to be true is that these types of infractions between human beings based on such superficialities are are a global human issue. Um, They manifest specifically in specific countries due to the histories of those countries. But in the end, this is human disorder. Um, But speaking specifically to our history here in the United States, my goodness, I mean, it's so fraught with um, so many things that are not pleasant and that have not served us. And that despite legislation and enlightened minds and all of that are still with us because in the end you can't legislate the human heart. And in the end this really is about some deep awakening that has to happen in us. And um, signing bills will 
maybe help usher it in a little sooner, but it doesn't change everything. And for those of us who are direct descendants of slaves, as I am, um, for someone who in my lifetime had the opportunity to sit in a room and have a conversation with my great-grandmother who was born into slavery, um, to know what my father's experience was growing up in the Jim Crow South, and uh, on and on and on and on. Yeah, we, it's, it's, you know, that we carry it with us. And the challenge, the invitation, is what we do with that thing that we're carrying. Um, how do we turn that toward not just our own good, but ultimately the good of all? And, um, you know, what happened was horrendous and touched me on a personal level for a number of reasons, not just because of the color of my skin, not just because of the friends and family I have who live in South Carolina, which is one state away from where my family lives, and is the state where this young man was apprehended. Not only because in my earliest years of life, that is the church where my family worshipped. That was our church. My sister was christened in that church. So there were so many ways in which that story even more than the numerous stories we hear constantly on the news and just in our personal lives as people of color um, really touched me deeply. And I don't, you know, for me as a black woman, I don't need media to tell me how bad it is. Um, Those stories are circulating around the dinner table. We know them firsthand. We're living it. The young men in my life, my godson, um, who uh, it's an absolute miracle, is is alive right now and thriving given what he's dealt with. Um, these are real stories for us. They touch our lives in deeply personal ways. And the struggle is real to not have that turn into just a giant ball of rage or frustration or despair And I think despair is the biggest emotion. I know that there's sort of this picture that many people hold of angry black people, but really they are despairing black people. They are deeply wounded black people. And what I understand clearly from a spiritual perspective is that that means that we're all despairing and wounded and damaged as a result of this and that the healing must be comprehensive. And what I really have strived to do and will and aspire to do is to have all of that information that is inside of me and that is part of my presentation in the world at this time in history, to have that feed the healing. Um, I want to be a force for that awakening and that healing in us all. And I have truly relished every incredible heart-stirring conversation that I've had in the days since this thing has happened with my friends and even with some strangers who are white, who are brown, 
who are black but are but didn't have my personal life experience. I mean, the thing about us as black folks is we're no more monolithic than white people are. We didn't all have the same upbringing. We don't all have the same personal stories. So, um, you know, what I said to Mar when this happened is I'm exhausted by all the anger. I'm I'm exhausted by the angers of white the anger of white supremacists. I'm exhausted by the anger of people of color, who, while their pain is understandable, um, we need to get the ball down the field, and the way that we do that is to not ignore our very real emotions, but to find a way to have those emotions transform into our shared expansion, our shared, you know, basically it's about being love. And the thing about it is when you're truly committed to that and when you, when your sincerest prayer is to be love in the world, there will be so many opportunities like this one that, will move you into that. And there are seldom experiences that feel good, but they are the experiences that will show love to be real. We just have to be willing to have that happen. Um, and I'm I'm just interested in being a voice in the world that doesn't ignore what's happening and doesn't pretend it's not happening but that encourages us all to find a way to be loved in that. That's the only way it's going to stop happening. It's the only way. There is no other answer to this. Gorgeous. Beautiful. We have five more minutes. I'd like to allow someone uh, else to share if they'd like to, and I just want to acknowledge uh, the the wisdom that comes through you, Patsy. Thank you for sharing, and <laughs> I'd like to put on the table too that um, you know I'm very much interested in, uh, and maybe this could be a project that a few of us all take on together. Is why not host a a conversation on racism in the LGBT community um, started here, started in our community, and um, and open that up, you know, for people to come share and express and ask questions. And um, I'm totally open, and you know, of course, the space is yours for anything like that. In any way, I can support anyone who feels inspired to do so. Uh, we can use our resources to create something that could be very healing, hold, hold the healing for um, the, the community, start just where we're at, our community. Um, again, the floor is open. Yeah, I just want to say I agree with Patsy. Forgiveness can be very, very gut-wrenching. and But it's like a feeling like no other either. I can't really describe it. But it is healing. 
And uh, I like that feeling of forgiving when it hurts. It's beautiful and it is real. There's no other way to describe it. It's just so real. And uh, I just love this time we're having in the country. I felt like it was needed. It was... It was ordained. I had that feeling before it happened. I just... um, That's that's all I want to say. Thank you. I'd like to speak up for a moment, too, and comment on what it's like growing up with white privilege, with the complete lack of understanding of what it's like to not have that, to have white privilege as the air that we breathe, that it's expected, you know, that every door will open. Fortunately, that experience to me is tempered by my Italian father who suffered great prejudice coming over to the United States in the 1920s and 30s. And so he had a lot of very uh, negative experiences of discrimination because of his Italian heritage. And I think the tribalism that we have, even down to the level of family, the Italian family, we always talk about my family and our family, and the family is the first structure. And even that kind of separation, while it's a, a point of strength, can also be a point of separation. And being a being a hippie, I left home when I was 18 and created a, another family, a spiritual family of my my hippie friends that I still I still am with. So the the there's so many issues and sub-issues on what it means to feel separate and where do we ground into a foundation of unity is it by family is it by ethnicity is it by color is it by by what is it and how do we change it so that the ground of being is spirit and i think that's uh, a lot of the work that i that i need to face on a personal level, for a long time, I would not like to say that black person over there. I didn't want to identify or separate because I never said the white person. If there's two people in a group, you never say, oh, that white person. You always say the black person. And for, for a long time, I would temper it by saying, oh, the, the beautiful woman in the blue dress or something. That why, why make the color of the skin the first thing we see? So... Uh, Obviously, there's still a lot of discussion. There's still a lot of growing. There's still a lot of maturing that we need to do. And this is such an important conversation. I love hearing these stories. And uh, I, I just look forward to, to sitting down together and, and going further and deeper into it. Thank you. All right, everyone. Um, thank you, Brian, for sharing. Thank you, Lisa, for sharing. Thank you, Patsy and Mar. Um, 
truly uh it's getting into the the murky waters meaning the conversations that aren't um comfortable for a lot of us to have that i mean obviously those are the what usually those are the conversations that need to be had the most and uh i just want to share gratitude again that we have a forum of love a community where we the basis the structure of this community is love and our intention to practice non-judgment and compassion that makes it safe to have these conversations and thank god for the uh, knowledge that if we feel triggered within these conversations that we don't make it about the person that we see that as an invitation to look inward Oh, my God, like, how grateful. Oh, my God, that's just like the keys to freedom, guys. So, God, I'm just so, I just love this community. I love this work. I love this work. I love being a practitioner, guys. I do, I do, I do. I'm so grateful you're here with me. Um, Let's take three minutes to uh, stretch and pee and refill your tea. A little poem there. Stretch your tea and refill your tea. And uh, we'll get back cracking at 1135 uh, to do our reading. This chapter on spiritual economics is like some rock star shit, guys. We're taking it to the next level. All right. Talk to you soon. Just don't hang up. Keep your phone on mute.
Okay, we're back. I'm sorry. I I seriously was just talking to you guys for like two minutes on mute, thinking that. <laughs> Anyways, we're back. Um, I'd like to say thank you for all the birthday well wishes. Boy, you guys know how to make boy feel loved, for sure. Um, Silky, you can see this on my Facebook timeline. She um, recorded herself singing this really pretty birthday song. And then she goes, it's, it's like a lullaby from a mom. And it's very sweet. And I was like, oh, my heart was just like so open. And I was like, oh, it's so sweet. How nice. And at the end of the song, she goes into the traditional birthday song, you know, you know, happy birthday to you. And then she ended it with, and many more. And it was like, I have to tell you, it was like the sweetest, loveliest song ever. So she goes, and many more. And she ends it with going, you're such a whore. And I was like, oh. Oh, okay. Well, that was in a, a different ending than I was expecting. <laughs> I was, like, taken back to, like, the loving embrace of my mother singing me a lullaby, and then she ends it with, hey, you're such a whore. So, anyways, leave it to Silky to keep it real for us all. Um, divine Silky. <laughs> I know, Divine Silky. She knows just what to say. So, um, okay, guys, this uh, I don't know if you saw in the uh, Facebook group when I suggested that you read page 79 over and over again and memorize it. We're getting to the truth of the matter, y'all. Like, listen, it's fine. I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to be really clear about this. There's nothing wrong at all with having an interest in making lots of money. You know, you can do lots of great things with lots of money. Or there's nothing wrong with uh, wanting a specific house or job. Nothing wrong with it at all. At all. Go for it. Follow your, you know, do what you want to do. You're supposed to enjoy your journey here on earth. But we have to, have to start getting clear, really, like crystal clear, guys, that not one thing Nothing, no relationship, no job, no contract, no amount of money, no title, no degree will ever, ever, ever make you happy. Ever. Nothing outside of yourself will ever make you happy. Okay? So just as long as you're clear on my stance as your teacher in this practitioner training course is, not one damn thing outside of yourself will ever make you happy. So I will never pray for you to get a certain job, to get a certain amount, or to have the result you want in a relationship. What I will say and what I will pray for and affirm because I know that your greatest good is always unfolding, that you are embedded with uh, inspired ideas that all of the creative potential of the universe is active within you now and forever, and that your truth is that you are one with the divine, you are one with the one who invented love, and that anything is possible for you. That I know that I will affirm, and you deserve to live a fulfilling, happy life. But if there's any trace left in you that's still clinging to the belief that you need to be doing a certain thing for a living in order to be happy, that you need to be 
making a certain amount of money to be happy, that you need to look a certain way to be happy, that you need to be in a relationship to be happy. I'm going to invite you now to stop it. Just, just stop it. Enjoy it. Go for it. If you feel inspired to go towards it, go towards it. It ain't going to make you happy. Everything, everything, every single thing is an outpicturing of an inward condition. So, all of the spiritual qualities that we project onto stuff, let's get really clear now, all the spiritual qualities that we project onto stuff is already pre-installed within us. So, if we allow ourselves to change our focus onto how we would like to feel, then we give ourselves the opportunity to create a life that is in alignment with feeling content and fulfilled and joyful and peaceful and abundant. And so often, the greatest gifts that we get to enjoy on this life is nothing that we ever thought about. Our dream job, may, we may not even know it exists. Okay? Are we all clear? Yes. Clear. Is, is anyone in stark disagreement with me? Nope. <laughs> all right. Because you can't be. That's fine. And I'm always open to dialogue. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad we're all on the same page. So, chapter four. Okay, just buckle up, everyone, because your mind's going to be blown. Um, you know, um, all right, here is the reading. Uh, does everyone have the book? Yes. All right. Um, okay. So here's the order. Uh, and if you're on Kindle or whatever, I'll tell you when to start. Who's on Kindle? So I can mark it down the list. I am. Patsy Marr, you guys on Kindle? I've, I've got the physical book. I'm fine. Okay, so Patsy's on. Patsy's the rebel. Always the rebel. Um, okay, here's the reading order. Amina, Brian, Chris, Sushant, Mike, Lisa, Mar, Patsy, Jesse. Amina, just all you have to know is the person that goes before you. Amina, then Brian, then Chris, then Sushant, then Mike, then Lisa, then Mar, then Patsy, then Jesse. So Amina, you left to Jesse. Cool? And uh, as a reminder, if there is a Bible verse referenced, you don't have to say the Bible verse. And uh, I invite everyone to have your pens and highlighters out because you're going to want them. Not to plant seeds or anything. All right, Miss Amina, Miss Thang, may the love of my life, go for it. Okay, chapter four. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. This is a tremendous promise with far-reaching implications. However, what does it mean to believe? Faith is not a constant. It means different things to different people. Certainly it is a fundamental mind power that is basic to the realization of prosperity. But we need to get a clear awareness of the faith process 
and how to set it to work for us. When Jesus said to him that believeth, it is normally presumed that he meant to one who believes in God. The religion of many persons consists simply in a profession of, I believe in God, though they rarely bother to ask themselves what they mean by God. Sidney Harris, the syndicated columnist, said, My father didn't believe in God, but God believed in my father. Many of, re- many of his readers took offense. Take yourself off mute, Brian. Oh, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> he meant that his father was not religious in a creedal sense, that he believed in life. He was a good person who walked by faith and acted out of love. God is not a super person out there to whom we pray and from whom we beg favors. God is a life process by which we live. Emerson suggests that when you break with the God of tradition and cease from the God of the intellect, that God will fire you with the presence. There is no way that you can begin to understand spiritual economics or to make it work in your life until you are free from the sense of God up there and on fire with the awareness of the presence. God is not the grand man of the heavens, a great purser of accounts and disperser of divine substance. God is the transcendent whole of things of which you are an individualized part. The whole universe is innate substance is centered in you. There is nothing you can do to add to that or take away from it. And this centering, as far as God is concerned, is the same in all persons. That leads to the inescapable thought-shocking conclusion that the universe has no more centered that the universe was no more centered in Jesus than it is in you. Of course, that doesn't explain the quite obvious difference. Jesus, in his disciplined consciousness, was centered in the source, while we are usually centered in various levels of limitation. However, Jesus clearly said that you can do all that he did if you can believe, if you can center yourself in the creative flow, as he was always so centered. This suggests an excellent definition for the word faith, consciousness centered in the universal source. Religious teachings and teachers have conditioned us to think of faith as a magic catalyst that makes God work for us. In no way does faith make God work, nor does it release some kind of miracle power. Faith simply tunes into and turns on the divine flow that has always been present. If you have a rheostat on your dining room light switch, or if you recall the dimming of the lights in a theater, you have a good example of how the divine flow works. When you turn the rheostat up, you get more light. When you turn it down, the power flowing through the bulb is reduced, which results in less light. There is no miracle involved when the room is suddenly flooded with light. The power is present all the time, whether the rheostat is high or low. A turned-down rheostat is like a consciousness of lack that restricts the flow of substance. The turned-up rheostat is like a faith centering that opens the way to an experience of affluence. Perhaps this this is an oversimplification, but it may help you to understand the principle and the process involved. Overzealous teachers and writers talk of the magic of believing, 
and the miracle works of faith. It is understandable. They are excited about the role that faith plays in demonstrating prosperity. However, we must emphasize again, faith deals with law, not caprice. Thinking of magic and miracles may mislead you into dealing with some fortuitous turning of the wheel of fortune. God's substance is an ever-present creative resource that must flow forth when you create the conditions which make people inevitable. Don't miss this vital insight. Faith is not a vague process of believing in something, much like a rote-learned confession of, I believe in God. It is, rather, a positive act of turning on something. The power is already within you, for you are the power being projected into visibility as you. You see, saying that you have faith in something, even faith in God, out there, suggests reaching and supplicating, touching a magic button that does not relate to your wholeness at all. The idea is not believing in, but believing from. You begin with the assumption of the presence in which you live and have been, and have been. Your faith is an activity that goes forth from this base. It is a believing attitude that is made real and creative by reason of your attunement with the creative flow. The question may be asked, do you really believe that faith can change things? There is a changing process, like light streaming into the room when you open up the drapes. However, faith doesn't change the nature of reality any more than opening the drapes changes the nature of light. Faith tunes into reality and releases the imprisoned, imprisoned splendor. In pre-Columbian times, the people believed in a flat world but the world was still round. Their belief in a flat world did not change the round one a bit. Later, in the years following the discoveries of Columbus and Magellan, to believe in a round world did not require making changes in the flat world. Thus, there is a sense in which faith doesn't really change things at all. It changes the way you relate to them. There is always an all-sufficiency even with the insufficiency. Your faith can relate to the whole or the partial, and it will be as you believe. When you pray for prosperity, your faith does not magically create back the soul that you seek. This is not the way of divine law. Actually, your faith has been already has already been involved in your condition, as with the turned down rheostat. You may have been believing in lack and thus you have experienced lack. As you recenter your thought in, a, in the awareness of abundance, you turn up the rheostat, as it were, and become more synchronized to the process of eternal substance, which then flows forth in your experience in perfectly natural ways, increases in salary, higher investment returns, and other improvements. Abundance is an ever-present reality. This fundamental truth is the base on on which all prosperity programs must build. Financial stringency of any kind is likened to the flat world. It is where you are in consciousness. But there is abundance for you right where you are, even as there is a world, a round world, within the flat world. The one simply transcends, transcends the other. This is what transcendental means. 
we are not talking about two different worlds, but about two ways in which you perceive and lay hold of one world, of the one world, the world in which you have lack and unemployment and hardship and the world of ever-present, limitless abundance, substance. If you have been believing in darkness, the drapes are are tightly closed and you have been experiencing darkness in your room. As you recenter your awareness and positive faith, you open the window to the light of truth, and as and it is as Isaiah suggests, behold, my servant shall prosper, he shall be lifted up, and shall be very high. The most widespread disease of our time may well be icantinitis. It is contracted by many of us early in life from our elders. Society has made a song of it that it that has neither rhyme nor reason, but it may be heard everywhere. I can't because I'm poor. I can't because I'm sick. I can't because I don't have the ability. I can't because I don't have because there's no opportunity. I can't because I'm too old. I can't. I can't. I can't. Few persons use more than a small part of tremendous God power within. You can alter the pattern of harping on the same old I can't tune. Actually, there can be no progress in realization of prosperity until you do so. It calls for knowing, really knowing, that you are a spiritual being living in a limitless spiritual universe, endowed with the whole potential energy flow of the universe. In most cases, the problem is faulty self-evaluation. For instance, you may say, I am an average sort of person. This leads to the subconscious acceptance of the wisdom of the world, which proclaims the chances of success for the average person in this enterprise are about one in seven. But why be an average person? All the great achievements of history have been made by strong individuals who refuse to consult statistics or to listen to those who could prove convincingly that what they wanted to do, and in fact ultimately did do, was completely impossible. Let go of I can't and begin to identify yourself as God's living enterprise. You are not just an average person, you are you, a unique individualization of the universal creative process. Affirm for yourself, I can because I am. Of course, you do live in the world of change and you may well have occasional pressing needs. The insight of truth should not cause you to refuse to admit having them. The important thing is that a need has no built-in limitations. There are only limiting thoughts about it. If the Alps had looked as formidable to Napoleon as they did to his advisors, he would never have attempted crossing them in midwinter. But he displayed the focus of his consciousness when he said, there shall be no Alps. He wasn't denying their existence, only their implausibility, impassibility. You may say of of some overwhelming difficulty, there is no way, and there may be no way to human sense. Again, all things are possible to God and to you and God consciousness. The Napoleons of science and industry and space technology have faced the Alps of unsurmountable obstacles by implying there shall be no Alps, and so can you. Right where you are in your present level of development, there is a limitless resource of wisdom and guidance, of ability and creativity, and of substance and supply through which you can do and do support 
relatively well all that needs to be done. If you can let go of limited self-identifications, if you can believe. The word develop is interesting in that it does not mean adding to or putting on something. It is related to the word envelop, which means to enclose. Thus, develop means enfold. Developing a prosperity consciousness is not achieved by programming the mind with an array of pat statements of truth. You are rich, not because you decree it over and over, but by reason of your spiritual inheritance. You are now as spiritual as you can ever be. You may increase your awareness of your true nature, which will in turn increase your flow of substance. You will not get prosperity out of a book, this one or any other. Prosperity comes from consciousness which unfolds from within. You will be amazed at the wonderful things that will begin to unfold for you as you develop a more positive image of yourself and as you recenter your faith in the all-accomplishing power of the divine process within you. Occasionally, a student of truth will say, I've worked so very long and hard to develop understanding. How long do I have to work it in until I arrive at the place where it just automatically works for me? The thought is so understandable, yet so naive. Thank you, Patsy. Ask the great athlete or concert pianist or the successful actor if they have arrived at the place where they need no further practice. They will tell you that the higher you climb the proficiency and public acceptance, the greater the need for practice. You will note that even Jesus went regularly up into the mountains to pray to practice the presence of God. There may be times when you say to yourself, but this problem is really beyond solution. After all, um, I am only human. What do they expect? But you are not only human. You are human, of course, but the human of you is a shell that encloses the divine of you. You can make your own personal breakthrough and release the tremendous possibility of your own divinity. This is a progressive unfoldment that you will experience as you diligently practice identifying yourself as a limitless expression of an unlimited universe. Let's just read that one more time. This is the progressive unfoldment that you will experience as you diligently practice identifying yourself as a limitless expression of an unlimited universe. Do you find it conceivable that when Jesus began to experiment with the creative power of faith, he may at times have been challenged even beyond his capacity to believe? Would it shock you to consider the possibility that something within him the last vestiges of human consciousness might have said, you can't heal this blind man or provide a meal for this great throng of people. You wouldn't know how. You've been conditioned with the idea that Jesus was very God, uh, was very God. It may be hard for you to believe that early in life, Jesus had the same basic difficulties of growing up as you had. Remember, Paul said that he was tempted in all ways, such as we are. In other words, he achieved mastery by personal development and practice, practice, practice. He said, in effect, I have overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. Doesn't that clearly suggest that he had something to conquer, some personal growth to achieve? The great piano virtuoso Paderewski was once playing before an audience of the, of the rich and the royal. After a brilliant performance, an elegant lady waxed ecstatic over the great artist. She said, Oh, maestro, you are a genius. Paderewski 
tartly replied, Ah, madam, but before I was a genius, I was a clod. What he was saying was that his present acclaim was not handed to him on a silver platter. He, too, was once a little boy, laboriously practicing his scales. And even at his peak, behind every brilliant performance, there were countless hours of practice and preparation. A needy person once knelt down before Jesus, saying, Good Master. Jesus cut in abruptly, saying, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. He never seemed to lose sight of the fact that while people thought he was God become man, he knew he was man becoming God. We miss the whole meaning of Jesus' life unless we see it as a growth process and that before he achieved Christ's mastery, he was Jesus, the pensive lad who wondered and dreamed on the hillsides of Galilee. He did not say, I am more divine than you are. What I do comes from comes by divine dispensation, but for you it will take a miracle. No. He said, in effect, I have overcome the world by proving the power of faith and the inherent potential within man. If you believe in the creative flow of the universe as I have done, then you can do all that I have done, and greater things shall you do. The faith required to demonstrate prosperity is not simply a pious pronouncement. Faith is expectancy. You do not receive what you want. You do not receive what you pray for, not even what you say you have faith in. You will always receive what you actually expect. Sometimes, after people have experienced modest outworkings as a result of their prayer efforts, they may say, well, it is about what I expected. They may only be trying to cover their wounded egos, but they are telling much about their faith. How many people go through life in this consciousness holding a tin cup under the Niagara of God's plenty? It is a small fry expectancy that usually manifests as a string-saving, make-do, can't-afford-it level of consciousness. It is marginal living at best. Some people even prepare for the worst so that they will not be disappointed, and of course they rarely are. What a weak and insipid kind of life expectancy. It is what we might call in tune with the indefinite. It is important to know that the creative process is at work in you all the time, not just when you are having faith. Infinite mind is an activity that is constantly at work within you, not just when you are affirming healing or prosperity prayers. Sometimes people pray in tones that suggest trying to awaken God, urging God to get on the job, but it really works the other way. Awake thou that sleepest. It is you who are asleep to your God potential, which is always present. Unless you begin to understand God as principle, you will go on living marginally. The universal principle is before they call, I will answer. In the great unity of all life, when you have a need, the answer is already moving on its way toward you. Before you formulate a desire in mind, it is in God in you it it is God in you desiring. Before you have an urge to do something or embark upon a project, there is a moving of spirit in you, prompting you in that direction. When you understand the cosmic origin of desire, the role of faith takes on a whole new meaning. 
It is not a matter of, gee, I wish I had enough faith to do this thing. If there is a need, there is an answer in infinite mind, and the need reveals that the answer is already on its way to you. Thus, faith is not an attempt to demonstrate the magic of picking yourself up by the bootstraps. Faith is your consent. It is saying yes to the outforming of the creative process. You may think this is making faith too simple. It is simple. There is nothing complicated about it. It deals with an inexorable force, like turning on the light. It is simple, but it's not easy. There is, a, there is a discipline of consciousness required and the commitment to practice the presence constantly. Yet the truth is, faith is saying yes. Okay, wait, now, Sushant, I want you to read this with, like, power and authority. This is it. This page is so good. I want you to, like, really use your acting skills, your experience as a performer to really sell this page, okay? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here it goes, guys. The exciting message of truth is you can have all you desire. It is a concept that raises a lot of false expectations and gives rise to many objections. You may say, I certainly have desired many things that have not been realized, but we have not really listened to our desires because our consciousness is too often centered in sense appetites and covetous covetous urges. A true desire is not to have, but to be. We are whole creatures in potential, and the true purpose of desire is to unfold that wholeness, to become what we can be. As Goethe says, desire is the pre-sentiment of our inner abilities and the forerunner of our ultimate accomplishments. Unfortunately, some new thought teachings of prosperity have been centered not in wholeness and spiritual well-being, but in the crassest kind of materiality. The all things are possible promise is met with the covetous, covetous, I don't know if I'm saying it right, covetous, covetous, with the covetous gleam of dollar signs in the eyes. Techniques are offered by which to treat, work the principles for the high-powered job, the luxurious country home, the expensive foreign car. Just treat for it and you, and you will get it. One woman recently said, God wants me to wear sable after all. I'm the child of a king. It is a common materialistic rationalization. The fact is, God does not want you to wear sable. God wants you to be stable. The impetuous thing-oriented desire for sable may come from a sense of personal inadequacy, a lack of spiritual stability. The creative process seeks to express in you as a stable, well-balanced, prosperous person, but prosperity, you see, is spiritual well-being. All right, so we're going to press a pause button just for a moment, and I will share with you that a lot of, and this goes, you know, this goes for spiritual teachers as well as most anybody, a lot of spiritual teachers move from that space of that wound, that feeling of inadequacy. Now, if you look at 
the new wave of spiritual teachers out there today, many of their pictures that they post and they, they put out into the public are pictures of them in front of big audiences like rock stars. And a lot of the message is, you can be a rock star too. I have spiritual techniques that are going to help you be a rock star in your life. But a lot of that comes from that wound, that feeling of inadequacy, and it is a quest for fame and acknowledgement like anything else. And listen, everybody has their journey, and that's great, and I bow to the perfection of everybody's journey. But, uh, and I should say here, part of, listen, I am your teacher in this process, okay? I went through that game, uh, and it was painful. I went through that fame game thing, and it was really um, shallow and vapid, and it came from a, and in the LGBT community, there's a real sense of this too, this feeling of not enough, of inadequacy, and so I wanted to fill that up with fame and meaning and money so I could say that I'm worthy, I'm worthwhile being here, and to prove to people that I made something of myself that I was worth being here. And it happens, too. That's why I always invite everybody to always, always, always check your motivation. Tune in with your motivation. What is motivating you in going forward to share this kind of work? Is it a desire to be recognized as a teacher, to be recognized as brilliant? Is it a desire to be famous? Is it a desire to make money doing this? Can we just, and if it is, great, let's get real with it. You know, let's just get real with it, okay? Some of the great, the best-known spiritual teachers right now are just really good at making money and marketing themselves, but they don't really have a very deep message to share. And that's fine, and it's great, and, you know, all of our students are pre-assigned to us, you know what I mean? So they're going to message whoever it is. I really, I'm not judging them, but I definitely see it because I felt it, because um, I've been there. I've done it. I see it. What I'm holding the space for all of us is to be able to go deeper in our practice and to really, truly embody altruism and service. I shared a couple weeks ago that I had that, like, awakening that it's all just about service. How am I serving my brothers and sisters? How is this serving Um, the future generations? How is this serving the planet? How can I be of service? Not how can this help me get what I want to get. How can this help me get more Twitter followers or published on this site or get this person to know who I am? But how can this be, how am I contributing to the well-being of all? How am I supporting myself in aligning with love? True altruism. How can I be a servant? How can I Give, how can I show up and just be of service to those that I love, to my community? How can I show up and just be of service? Can I wash the floors? Is that supporting it? Is that supporting my community? Can I take you to the airport? There's this, I saw this like play on Santa Monica Boulevard. The title of the play was literally, no, I will not take you to the airport. And I wanted to just put up another poster that says, well, call me, I will. I'll I'll do it because we don't want to be inconvenienced. 
listen, you're not being a good friend if you ask me to take you to the airport. You're inconveniencing me so much. What have we gotten to? Where have we gotten to? You know? One thing that can really bow to my alcoholism and my experience in AA was it taught me how to be of service, to just show up, to go do things that sometimes you don't want to do because you're supporting your brothers and your sisters. You're lifting someone up. We're teaching the efficacy of our choices, always. We're always teaching the efficacy of our choices. What if we took the the act of loving kindness on as a way of being, of generosity, giving from that space of, I have so much to give, and getting to do what we're here to do, which is contribute to the vision of world peace. So, I just love this because it really, this page, 79, really broke down this idea of, it's not about the materialism, guys. And we can trick ourselves into thinking, oh, it's okay, you know, like, fine, yeah. Materialism, it's fine. If, if you want something, God bless you, get it. But don't trick yourself into saying, well, God wants me to have this Mercedes because I'm a child of a king. Like, no, God doesn't give a shit what you drive. It really doesn't. So let's not pretend that, like, that kind of materialism is spiritual, spiritualizing, you know, over-spiritualizing something that really is just a neutral object. You know what I mean? And, you know, I got uh, kind of a scathing email from someone today, uh, this week, saying, you know, maybe you have a judgment against rich people or something like that, and, like, you need to know that there's no problem being rich, and people who are rich can be happy, too. And I said, I don't believe I have ever said that you can't be rich and happy. I hold the space of being rich and happy. And there's nothing wrong with being interested in having stuff. But it's in confusing the, the fact that the stuff is going to make you happy. Nothing outside of ourselves is going to make us happy. Let's continue with the reading. This is not to say you cannot have fine things, for you can and you should. When you have a balance... Thank you, Mr. Butterworth. Just say, totally, Merrick Butterworth just had my back there. (laughs) Go ahead. When you have a balanced consciousness centered in the ever-present substance of God, the things will come easily as they are needed. It is a matter of priority. Seek first his kingdom. In other words, the first step should not be... should be not to treat for things, but to get centered in the divine flow. God knows nothing of cars or jobs or fur coats or country homes. God is substance, and this substance will flow forth in your life in keeping with your consciousness of wholeness. The danger in constantly working to demonstrate things, which the naive student of metaphysics in it is inclined to want to do, is that one tends to become an economic hypochondriac. There is always something more to demonstrate. The magazines and catalogs are full of alluring pictures that wet one's covetous feelings. How easily one's life can be dominated by things, the work to get them, the effort to care for them, the need to buy insurance to protect them. On and on it goes, and there's always something more to yearn for. After all, 
this is what prosperity is supposed to mean, or is it? Students love to talk about all the demonstrations of prosperity they have made, yet there is a sadness, there, yet there is a sadness about it, for there is an implied emptiness and the frantic attempt to fill it. So the person makes innumerable de demonstrations of prosperity and yet never finds prosperity, never experiences wholeness and spirit. The mystic ideal so often missed is, re is really very simple. Build on the awareness of ever-present substance and explain your faith in the stability of your own inner wholeness. The things will come um, to and in abundance, but they will come out of expanse of your wholeness, not at its expense. Faith is really your consent to let your own uniqueness unfold and to, to let that which is attracted by your uniqueness manifest in your life. Thus, when Jesus said, all things are possible that, to them that believe, he did not say that a swan can become a duck or that a non-musical person can become a concert pianist. You cannot become something that is not the outforming of your own inner potential. You can only be you. However, you can unfold more of you that may have been long frustrated. Many people are covetously influenced to seek to become like her or to have what she, he has. But if through mind dynamics you achieve that which is not the outforming of your own uniqueness, you may lose even if you win. As if the problem in transplant surgery where rejection syndrome prevents the tissue from taking hold, so you are unable to hold or fully experience that which has not come out of your own pattern. The important thing is to know yourself. Have faith in the cosmic process that will unfold in you like a life force unfolds in a lily of the field, which toils not nor spins. And yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, having said all this, let us reemphasize the truth that you can grow, you can improve, you can be prosperous, you can succeed if you can believe. When you say yes to the creative flow within you, you begin to experience I am positive, I, I can attitudes, which turn on the power and skills needed to accomplish. When you believe you can do it, the how to do it develops. This is the way the creative process in the individual works. On the other hand, this belief is a negative power that frustrates or turns off your inner potential. If you doubt something enough, the mind will attract all kinds of reasons to support the disbelief. In his classic work, Wind, Sand, and Stars, Saint, okay, can somebody uh, help me pronounce this? Saint, Exuperate. Uh, Exuperate. Yes, okay. And Thomas Saint wrote The Little Prince, and uh, Wind, Sand, oh, and Sand. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, all right. Uh, tells the story of a pilot who was drowned in the rugged snow-blocked regions of the Andes. He trudged through the snow for days, only to find his way hopelessly blocked by a yawning crevice in the ice. 
he quickly concluded that he had three choices. One, give up and die of exposure. Two, make an attempt to jump across the fissure, knowing full well that it was impossible to do so. Or three, convince himself that he could jump across and make an attempt out of that conviction. When he considered in this kind of logic, the choice was clear. So he backed away a few yards, closed his eyes in a moment of inner communion, then loudly shouting, I can, I can. He ran and jumped and barely reached safely on the other side. Trudging off down the mountain, he was finally found and saved. Now, now faith was no magic bridge. This was no miracle of God picking him up and depositing him bodily on the other side. What the man did was accomplished with his own concentrated mind and by special effort by his own muscle. But his believing attitude released a flow of energy from his own inner God potential. There are many stories of seemingly superhuman feats accomplished under emotional stress. We are all too ready to call them miracles. How much more in keeping with the ideal of the divinity of man to know that it is simply a matter of opening out a way whence the imprisoned splendor may escape. And as Jesus promised, greater works than these will he, you, do, if you can believe. You may survive your situation today as concerns your financial needs or your job situation, obsessed with the problems of inflation, restrictive interest rates, or the threat of crippling depression. You may be totally discouraged, or you may carry on half-heartedly in the thought, what are you going to do? It's just the way things are. But there is much that you can do. You need not live marginally. You can achieve prosperity if you can believe in the allness of God's substance ever-present and all-sufficient, abundantly able to meet any and every need in your life. Your potential to harness the flow of the universe is the very law of your being. Even as the flick of a switch turns on the light by reason of the law of electricity, so your faith releases your success power by reason of the law of spirit within you. No miracles are required. It is the way you have been created. You are a rich and creative spiritual being. You can never be less than this. You may frustrate your potential. You may identify with that which is less than what you can be. But within you now and always is the unborn possibility of a limitless experience of inner stability and outer treasure, and yours is the privilege of giving birth to it. And you will, if you can believe. Amina, Chris, Sushant and Mike, have at it. We're going to, uh, you guys are on the floor. Please discuss the reading that we just did, insights, thoughts, and takeaways. Um, everyone else who contributed to the early conversation, we're going to hold space. We're going to listen and take notes. Have at it. Um, this is Mike. I definitely uh, have suffered from the I can't in my time, uh, especially kind of even presently now, like with, um, you know, working on my finances and, and trying to stay within a budget. So I'm like often finding myself saying things like, oh, I can't do that. It's not within my budget or yada, yada. Um, so like that's definitely um, something I can relate to. Um, I, I kind of like experienced on a very marginal level, but kind of significant nonetheless. Um, you know, I was invited to this uh, 
like big DJ battle of the DJs thing tonight and I accepted and um and then at the last minute my friend was like oh I found out there's like this huge you know cover charge you know like I like you know um and like instantly I was like oh man I can't you know do that and I was just like you know what like you know let me you know stay open to this and and uh she was like saying that maybe, like, she can get a plus one because her boyfriend's a DJ, and then she got a plus one, and so I'm able to go. So it's just kind of like, I, I don't know, I kind of related that to um, that whole cantitis because it's like there are many different ways that I can approach a situation where, like, once I might have just stopped myself, um, and that was kind of revealed in just a very, like, you know, simple, nice, nicely packaged way for me today actually so um i i very much related to that part and and kind of like realized like what i do kind of hold myself back with by you know having this belief system so i this is chris um i this is a great chapter um a lot of things really stood out to me. Uh, it's interesting because one of the things that really stood out to me was when he was talking about faith is expectancy. Um, I underlined faith is expectancy, and then you will always receive what you actually expect. And it's interesting because this saying that, that I've always heard in my life came up, which is uh, hope for the best but expect the worst, like that. I just can remember my mom like always saying that and that's just something that I remember and it's interesting because I hadn't even really thought of it consciously um, until now like that that's kind of been something that I've always gone to you know like hope for the best but expect the worst like not to get your expectations up and uh, and so it was just really interesting reading this that that came out and and, uh, you know, you will always receive what you actually expect. So, you know, expect the best, not the worst. I think for me it was like um, the reading the part about that woman saying that, you know, God wants me to wear sable. It made me think of like when I was uh, finding my apartment and stuff, my friends were like, you know, like, you have this other job on the weekend. It seems like it's not stable. Like, you know, it's commission-based. But just, like, find an apartment that's, like, based on, like, the steady thing that you have coming from the school. And I was, like, I just was, like, no, like, you know, I want to, like, I want to live in this area and, uh, like, all my needs are going to be met. And I, I actually had the same sort of, like, conversation of, like, well, God wants me to, like, have whatever I want. So if I want to live in, like, this apartment, like, I'll be provided for and stuff. And so I, I think, like, when, when I did find this apartment, like, I was really excited and not just from, like, a place of, oh, I'm, you know, I'm living where I am, but just the sense of, like, having faith and, like, you know, yeah, like, of course God wants me to have whatever whatever I want, and my needs are going to be met. So for me, the biggest thing was like when I when I was looking for my apartment, it was the biggest gift that I got was actually sort of like having faith or belief that 
that whatever I wanted was okay and that I was going to be provided for. So, like, I, I get, like, this thing about, like, the woman saying that, you know, I want to wear table because God would want me to have whatever I want. Um, but at the same time, like, looking back now, I, I'm almost, like, thinking, like, was there, you know, sort of like an arrogance in that on my part in terms of, yeah, I can have whatever I want. And, um, you know, that, of course, like, I deserve it or, like, you know, I'm a child of God. Um, so, yeah, it's something that I'm I'm going to be, like, reflecting on a bit. What do you really want, Tushant? I think I just want it to be, like, free, you know? I just want it to be independent and free, and an apartment can really, can't really bring that, you know? Freedom doesn't lie in walls or in, in a bedroom, <laughs> or independence doesn't lie in living quarters. Yeah, I mean, like it said, you know, God doesn't know cars and God doesn't know houses and all that shit. And it just talked to, gently said, it's just gentle naivete, you know, because we want to believe that God wants us to have cars and things like that. God doesn't care. <laughs> what is it to God? What is it to God? You nailed it, Sushant, when you said, I wanted to feel free. Yes, exactly. So you got confused into thinking, oh, well, this apartment is going to make me feel free and abundant, and I'm going to be exactly where I need to be, and God wants me to have this apartment. It's on my vision board. But no, God wants you to feel, to know yourself. That's all. God's will for you is happiness, and the true happiness comes from a recognition and remembrance of your true nature. Now, the gift at the end of it is a realization that, oh, I thought this apartment can make me feel free, but my freedom comes from within. Now you really Hey, Jesse, I life. just, I got dropped off the call, so I just got back on right now. So I don't know what you heard last that I said. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. I literally uh-huh. was just teaching to you. Oh, sorry. Um, I said that, okay, uh, I don't know, maybe you didn't need to hear that. (laughs) I said that what you really wanted, you said it right, was freedom. And God doesn't operate, God God doesn't know anything of, like you said, apartments or cars or jobs or anything like that. And the book gently says it's spiritual naivete. You thought it did. But what's interesting now is you're actually getting what you initially wanted, which was the knowing that your freedom comes from within that your freedom has nothing to do with where you live. Yeah, and I think it was just, like, having to, having to like, experience this, you know, like, because I've never sort of made this sort of decision in my life. And I remember, like, I don't know who it was. I think it was, like, an actor or someone who said that, you know, you have to make bold decisions in your life, and you have to make decisions that at the time feel right to you, regardless of what people say. And if that decision, you know, ends up being something that looks like a failed thing that happened, then you've learned from it, but you have to come from what you feel at that point. And at that point, it felt to me 
as a thing to be in this place, to find this, to not listen to anybody what they were saying, to take that in and then to make a decision, you know? And I yeah. learned from the Well, exactly. So. And now with the wisdom, if you choose to harvest the wisdom from the experience, meaning the love expressed from the experience, now you, and you have more tools than you did back then, you know, because we're always evolving. And so now you have a moment to even be able to pause and say, okay, what's the, where is this coming from? What's my motivation? What is, mm-hmm. does, and you can ask yourself, does God really want me to have this apartment? Because now you mm-hmm. know that God doesn't care. Yeah. God really doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, great. Yeah, I, like you said, what brilliant, beautiful learning that has come as a result of it, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, it's funny. is like um, I remember when I was talking to Marianne Williamson, she said, she said to me, she was like, you know, I feel like sometimes people put a lot of emphasis on what, uh, what they think God wants. And she was like, so, you know, next time you're making a decision, just be very mindful or uh, keep in your mind of, like, being aware of what it is that God really wants for you. Like, you know, we don't really know in terms of, like, we think we know what God really wants for us, but we don't really have an idea. So I remember when she said that, I was like, huh, what? But, like, reading this and then you explaining that, I feel like... But yeah, that God just, you know, if you, it's the same thing. Like you, you take your life experience and you look at it, you look at the world through that. So me at that time with the apartment was like, okay, I want this. Instead of just saying like, no, this is what I want. Like I want this. To, I think I started being more like, oh, God would really want me to have it. Instead of like, no, it's not really God that wants me to have it. It's me who wants me to have it. You know, I always give people the suggestion because a lot of people teach get really specific as to like how many rooms, what do they look like, what's the area and all that stuff. And I always am like, no, get more vague, get much more into the feeling tones. Like I'm interested in moving into the perfect place, which is going to completely support me in where I am. I'm interested in it being easy and I'm interested in it being beautiful. I'm interested in uh, feeling like home. You know, get into the feeling essence of it and then allow it to come forth through that. But when we get way too specific, it needs to be like Hollywood, it needs to be on the street or whatever, blah, 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 whatever it is to you. That's when we limit ourselves and that's when we take control. Yeah. All right, we're going over time, but I do want to give Amina the opportunity to share and then we will close out. Amina, I'll tell you this. When you're complete with your sharing, go ahead and pray it out. And we'll, um, oh, practitioners, we need a hospitality for tomorrow. Someone to show up uh, and help with hospitality for tomorrow. 10.30 a.m. arrival time, help uh, set up and uh, greet our brothers and sisters. Uh, I can do that one, Jesse. Great. Lisa, thank you so much. Perfect. Anyone else? Would anyone else like to help Lisa? like the privilege and joy of having Lisa. Going once. Going twice. 
All right, Amina, go ahead. Okay, um, I actually don't have a lot to share. I just I did resonate a lot with this, and I think that what really got me was um, the part about the constant practice, and and that practice is really remembering. It's not all about sitting in meditation or sitting in prayer, but it's about consciously you know, working with our minds and and allowing this faith, this knowing to flow through us. And so that's in, in every moment choosing the thought that allows that and affirming that through what we say and how we interact and what we think. Um, and you have a, well, I, I don't need to tell this apartment story, but, um, you know, my sister and her husband are moving to Washington, D.C., and they have a big, beautiful house that they're selling and they're moving to a whole different situation. And they were really hung up on having a two-bedroom apartment. And they needed this and that and that and that, and it took them forever to find something. When they let go of having that second bedroom, they found the most beautiful place. They can both walk to work 10 minutes. And, they, you know, it's amazing. So just a, just a nod for... Um, not being attached to the details. Um, so yeah, I think that's pretty much all I have to say. And I will gladly pray. So let's take a deep breath of gratitude and love together. Bringing ourselves to this present moment. So grateful to connect in this loving, sacred circle. So grateful for our community. We are so blessed. We are so blessed to do this work together. We are so blessed to study these spiritual laws and to apply them in our lives, knowing that when we do so, that our freedom, our peace, and our limitless, unconditional love expands outward to all beings. We are creating world peace. This is our responsibility. This is our choice. This is our joy. And we're doing it. So, so grateful. And we make a holy offering of anything that blocks the awareness of the presence of love and peace and joy in our lives. We make a holy offering of all limiting beliefs. We are fully releasing all sense of lack, limitation, unworthiness, judgment, resentment. We're releasing it all now. And we're standing and declaring our limitless love, our limitless peace, our limitless joy, expansion, the freedom that is ours, our natural state. This is what we're claiming and expressing and sharing right now. So grateful to do this in this beloved community and to share the benefit of our healing and expansion with all beings because we are one. And in gratitude, we allow this to be. We let it reveal as our life. And so it is. Amen. 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 Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful work, everybody. Oh, how great. How grateful I am for all you guys. What wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for sharing your journey. Thank you for um, 
expressing. Thank you for doing the work. Thank you for applying the principles. Thank you for being authentic. Thank you for being transparent. I love you all so, so very, very much. And uh, just a reminder, guys, uh, you should be reading this thing called you as you have a book report due at the end of this quarter, which I believe will be in August. So um, next week, Jennifer Hadley. Next week, Jennifer Hadley. So buckle up for that, too. Um, I love you guys. Bye. Love you. Bye. Hey, Paris Circle, can you do 1 o'clock? What's that? Paris Circle at 1? Ah, yeah, uh, 1 o'clock? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Or do you want to just give ourselves a little break? Um, uh, yeah, that would be good. So, um... The same phone number, right? Yeah. Mike and Fushad, are you there? I think they're gone already. Okay. All right. So, 1 o'clock?